This is episode number 174 of the Rising Man podcast with Brian Chaplin. What's in a name? Welcome back, my Rising Man family out there. Jetty Azuma here behind the mic again. Thank you for joining me today. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind you to go to risingman.org. Check out what opportunities there are for you to step up your game, to challenge yourself to grow this season. What are you going to do? We got Inferno. We got our next round of Elements popping off in June. We got Compass coming up in the fall. Lots of opportunities for you guys to step it up. So go check it out. All right. My guest for today is Brian Chaplin, a.k.a. Chappie. At least that's how I know him. He's a veteran underground cannabis cultivator turned medical cannabis brand creator. After a decade of perfecting his craft, Brian embraced sobriety and conscious capitalism and through both envisioned a future where humans worldwide would replace the contents of their medicine cabinets with cannabis health and wellness supplements. His mission to co-create sovereignty and human health and happiness while harmonizing our relationship with Mother Earth, Brian devotes his efforts towards fostering community and collaboration with people aligned with these same values. He's been featured in Rolling Stone, Dope Magazine, High Times, MG Retailer, and Green Entrepreneur. In this episode, Brian and I started off with the value of a name, how we associate an identity or way of being with a name or moniker that we embrace. Brian spoke about his journey into sobriety, Alcoholics Anonymous, and evolving from Chappie to Brian. We talked about escapism, what is at the root of it, and why is numbing ourselves such a tempting solution to our problems. Brian defined the word sovereignty, opening up a powerful conversation of what this word means and how it's relevant to men defining their unique purpose in the world. Lastly, we talked about the future and why creating space for our beliefs and the beliefs of others is essential for our way to survive. Without further ado, Brian Chaplin. All right, Rising Man fam, I've got another amazing man on the show today, uh, a brother of mine coming in live from Truckee out in Tahoe region, Brian Chaplin. How you doing today, bro? Good, good, good. North Lake Tahoe, mm-hmm. facing south, looking at the uh, beautiful lake glistening and it's going to be a nice uh, 60 degree day. We had some snow uh, over the weekend and let's get summertime rolling here. Yeah, the Tahoe region is pretty wild, man. The fact that it's end of April and you guys are still getting some snow, followed by a 60-degree day, is pretty interesting. Yeah, it's that that in-between time where it's like not quite summer, but it's not quite winter, and you're not sure if it's springtime yet. It's a little confusing, but... Just rolling with it. I used to be really confused when we lived in Southern California. And I used to say, if you were in a coma and you woke up and you would have no idea what time of year it was, because it could be 75 degrees and sunny in the middle of January, which that's not quite Tahoe. <laughs> no, I like going down to SoCal though in the wintertime, getting off the hill, as we say here, getting out of the mountain a little bit, seeing some green grass and breathing in some ocean air and then getting back to the mountains. That's where I like to be. Yes, sir. Well, I'm excited to have this conversation with you, man. I've known you for a while, and this is probably going to be the longest one-on-one conversation that you and I have ever had by the time it's all said and done. So I'm excited to learn even more about you. Obviously, shout out to my bro, Phil Gomez and Demetri Carter, who are you know the reason why we know each other. And Listen, I've always known you as Chappie. We were talking about this right before we started recording. I've always known you as Chappie, and I know you go by Brian Chaplin. You had you had an interesting story about that. Why don't we just give a little anecdote there to start off, and then we can roll Yeah, in. well, full name, Brian Martello Chaplin. Martello is my 
Sicilian grandfather's name. So I'm third generation Sicilian. My great grandparents came over from Sicily to Ellis Island, landed in East Boston. And my dad married my mom, who was a Martello. And his last name's Chaplin. And he was Chappie. And I became Chappie too. And I've always gone by Chappie since I was probably in grade school. And I built this like kind of this alter ego around that name. No one really called me Brian. Like my mom and sister would call me Bry. My dad would call me Bry, but no friends really went by Brian. So Chappie was what I was known as and, you know, always answered to. And if someone called me Brian, I'd be like, is that a teacher? Like, (laughs) (laughs) what's going on? Am I in trouble? Right. But Chappie was the one that was making all the trouble. In 2012, when I went to my first AA meeting is really when I surrendered. I a long story around it, but I walked next door to my neighbor's house and knew that he didn't drink and knocked on his door and he asked me, are you okay? And I said, no. And he said, well, come on in. You've come to the right place. And he told me about the 12-step recovery program. And he said, if you want to go to a meeting, my wife and I go on Monday night and meet us in the driveway and we'll take you there if you don't show up. There's no judgments, you know, just all good. You'll go home, take a bath, drink some tea, eat some food. And on the way to that meeting, they asked me what, this is AA anonymous. What do you want to go by? Like your name? And I said, you know what? Call me Brian. I really want to know who Brian is because I don't know who Brian is. I've always been called Chappie and Chappie is synonymous with this like party guy and this alter ego and you know, the first one up and the last one to go to bed type character. And that's when I started to call myself Brian. And it's pretty interesting because I go as Brian, you know, in my quote unquote professional world, but then people will hear someone call me Chappie and then I'll immediately adopt calling me Chappie. Like people in my like organization and medicine box call me Chappie. I'm like, all right, whatever you guys are comfortable with. So it's kind of like whatever you're comfortable, you know, calling me. That's so fascinating, man, because there's so much in a name, right? There's so much in the name that I think of it as a placeholder for the identity. And I thought you said that Mm -hmm. really well, that alter ego, this is who Chappie is because that's who you became underneath that moniker. Mm -hmm. And I've experienced a similar thing because my given name is Jared. That was what I grew up as, Jared. And my mom still calls me Jared, all my family back on the East Coast. But when I moved West, you know, through, you know, I'll save that story for another time, but I became known as Jetty and people started referencing me as Jetty and I felt more comfortable in that name, but it had a different identity to it. And I've done a lot of research into names and naming and looking into rites of passages and marking stages of development and growth, especially when you think of a more traditional indigenous type of way, there would often be a time where a child was stripped of its name and its identity usually in association with some sort of ritual or ceremony and Mm -hmm. then given a new name. And then it was almost as if that person, that child, but by that previous name was dead to the village. Like they don't exist anymore. They saw that as like a completion of that identity and the beginning of a new one. And so I'm always interested in the evolutions of names, especially for those of us who don't have that type of more traditional ritual context to it, Mm -hmm. because I think there's something innate in it that we associate with a name. And I heard some of that in your story. Yeah. Thanks for dropping in on that. I was almost named Anthony from 
my mom, she picked out Anthony, you know, strong Italian name. And then apparently when I came out of the womb, it was Brian. So Brian, my sister calls me Bri Bri. Bri Bri. <laughs> yeah. I'll see her in about 10 days. I'm going back east to spend some time with my sister and family. So it's going to be good. Nice. That's another thing that stood out to me just in the first few minutes, what you shared is that you knew the story of your, was it great grandparents that came from Sicily? Yeah. Great grandparents came from Sicily through Ellis Island, landed in East Boston. And my grandfather, Papa uh, Alfredo Martello, was born in East Boston. He is 96 years old. He just turned 96 March 1st. I'm really excited to see him. He's taught me so much. And when I look back at all the great things he's taught me in the family, you know, very strong Sicilian. We could unpack that for many <laughs> episodes. Like, You've patriarchal, like Sicilian. It's all about like family values and taught me a lot about family. You know, he gave me the entrepreneurial DNA. I mean, he grew up in the Great Depression. He went to World War II. And when he was out of World War II fighting in Hiroshima, he married my grandmother, Claire Martello, who he met in East Boston. He was 21 and she was 15. And they were together for, married for 69 years and together for 74 when she passed four years ago. So strong family values and really just go out into this world, Brian, and try. Just do your best and try and don't give up on your dreams and, you know, accomplish the dreams. And if you don't accomplish those dreams, at least you tried. That was really something that he wove into me as a, a young boy and in, even into manhood. I mean, he calls me all the time just to tell me how proud he is of me and, and hope you're doing well and, and happy and you make me so proud. It's, it's cool. I'm really excited to see him and very grateful that I have a living grandfather that is 96 and still so quick-witted. I mean, he, we can drop into politics, history, plethora of subjects, and he's just really on point with it all. So, wow, that's amazing, man. Yeah. The other thing that stands out to me about that is just how much you know about your legacy, the legacy mm -hmm. that you inherited, you know, the family that you come from, where you come from and the story that led to who you are now. I think that's something I've talked about that and had conversations about that here in other episodes where when we're not connected to our ancestry or where we come from, especially because most of us who live here in the Western hemisphere yeah. come from immigrant families. We're all somewhere between one and maybe five or six, seven generations removed from much longer legacy of people who lived in another land for many more generations. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's something that is often missed. So it's, it's cool to hear you know so much about your story because a lot of times I'll talk to guys, I'll say, what do you know about your ancestors? And they're like, who? <laughs> what's that? <laughs> what's, what's, what's an ancestor? So that's really cool, man. I like how that stands out. Let me ask you this question because I didn't get a chance to ask you this yet. For you, in your opinion, what does it mean to be a man? Oof, that's a big question. I think what it means to be a man is being comfortable in your own skin and being able to accept who you are in the present moment and also be able to accept where you've come from and leave the past in the past and be able to learn from your mistakes of the past in order to continuously, you know, up-level yourself. And that's something that, you know, I can honestly say I've struggled with, like, what does it mean to be a man? Where am I supposed to fit into this world? And 
some of the things that I do or say or certain behaviors, like, are those, you know, in this present moment, Jetty, is like what I've been exploring in my manhood is what are the behaviors that propel the mechanics to the navigational system? But underneath those behaviors, what is the food that's feeding those behaviors? And if there's two containers of food, is it from a place of integrity or in a place of fear, right? Integrity, love, faith, or fear and you know despair, if you will. And as a man, when we can really figure out what container we're pulling from or bucket of food, as I call it, to feed the mechanics that feed my navigational system, that's a really good equation. And I mean, this is the Rising Man podcast. So I came equipped with, you know, some things to talk about there because I knew you'd (laughs) ask me, but I explored where I came from as a boy and a kid and really just like, I'm an 80s baby. I, I was born in 80, you know, a 90s kid, as I say. And I was an athlete. I ran track. I played soccer. I played baseball. I played football. And then track became my thing. And track was more of like a competition against other men or boys, but also a competition against yourself. And I'd get really hard on myself when I wouldn't run a sub 50 400, (laughs) right? And I think a lot of that kind of competition stayed with me. You know, I'd get hard on myself and learning to not be hard on yourself. Let's unpack that a little bit. I've asked this question so many times now, and you might be the first person who brought in an element of self-acceptance. And I don't know if you use this word, but I heard forgiveness and Mm -hmm. a gentleness of yourself. And I'm sure that that is inspired by your life experience and what you've had to learn to do for yourself, especially with what you already mentioned about having been an addict before and having to find your way out of that. And all of this, I mean, that's any of us who've had addictive behaviors or tendencies, you know, that that self dialogue, that internal dialogue, the voice in our heads that just beats us down to the ground is unrelenting. And it never goes away, right? You can continuously explore the depths of your shadow but it's bottomless. And for it to not be bottomless, I believe it's okay to make friends with it, right? It's like, I have, you know, my hands here, like this is what I face the world, but behind me, right, there's my shadow. But if I can do this and make friends with it and say, it's okay, man, it's okay, you fucked up. It's okay, you were dishonest. It's okay, you did these things that hurt other people and hurt yourself. And you don't have to go into the blame game or the shame game. And that's kind of that nature of addiction is like, oh, behavior. Oh, that wasn't good. There's drama there or you fucked up again. And then you go into guilt and shame. And then it's like, oh, let me take a drug or a substance to get over that guilt and shame. And it's like, oh, I'm back in that circle again. I'm back in that loop. And to get out of that loop, it's like, those are bad behaviors. They came from somewhere. I'm going to explore that but it's okay, right? You're learning and get back up and continuously learn and not beat yourself up because that internal dialogue, that voice, that negative self-talk, it's constantly chattering. And if I'm not doing the things that I know how to do to keep that dialogue subdued, then it's going to climb right on me, right? The gorilla on my back is just, is always going to be there, but meditation really helps with that. And for me, meditation became a daily practice for me. And if I can squeeze in, you know, two sessions of meditation in a day, I feel 
like I'm doing pretty well. If I skip a meditation today, which is very, very rare, like I feel it. It's like I'm a little bit more irritable. I'm a little bit more obsessive. I'm a little bit more hard on myself or just not focused. So getting into that practice has really helped me learn how to have more compassion for myself and forgive myself and forgive others and send others like compassion too. There's other people that were in my life at one time that aren't in my life anymore, but I send compassion to because everyone deserves to be happy, not just me, not just you, everyone does. And however we go about being happy is really kind of our own prerogative and we're just all doing our best. And the first thing that I learned when I went to the 12-step program I was so clueless, Jetty. I didn't know anything about anything. Like I would constantly think my way out of things. And that was learning how to pray for someone else's happiness. And my mentor sponsor, right? We call him sponsors in 12-step program. He said, you know, it was an ex-girlfriend. He's like, can you be happy for her? And I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, you're not with her anymore, but can you be happy for her? And I said, I think so. And he's like, well, pray for her happiness every single night and watch what it does to you. And I had prayer in my life, but not as like deep as I am now. And I prayed for this woman's happiness every night. And uh, I saw her like nine months later on the beach in Tahoe. And I hadn't seen her, you know, since I started, this was nine years ago. I saw her and I was like, oh, I'm going to make amends to her. And I went up to her and I said, you know, how are you doing? She's doing well. I said, I prayed for your happiness every single night. And she's like, well, it worked. I'm happy. Mm. And it looks like you're happy too. I said, Mm. I hope you can, you know, forgive me. She goes, I forgave you a long time ago. And I said, the best gift that you ever gave me was to do this on your own. And I'll forever have gratitude for this woman and have her in my heart because she's like, you need to go off and get sober on your own. I I can't have any part of this. I didn't understand that at the time. It's like, Mm. oh, help me, help me. And it's like, but that was the best gift that I think any human has ever given me really. It was like the gift of like pushing me off the edge, go do this. And then she's happy and I'm happy and she's forgiven. I'm forgiven. And it was a beautiful moment. in like my spiritual journey, like, holy shit, this stuff works. That's something really powerful in there. You know, going back a couple steps to the escapism and the way in which we as a modern society have learned to do that, you know, to get away from the pain, to avoid looking at ourselves in the mirror. uh, Some of the things that you said, it's so much easier, at least in the moment to just numb ourselves with any, you know, pick your poison, right? Pick your substance, pick your escape route. And also like depending on other people to do that work for us. Like in what you just said with that relationship with the ex-girlfriend, you know, wanting somebody to save us from ourselves. That has that natural, I would connect that more to the child in us that came into this world being cared for. Our every wake and need was taken care of by our parents or whoever was raising us from that moment. And I think a lot of the escapism that I see, especially when we're talking about younger men or guys who still haven't figured themselves out, there's an avoidance on some level of things that don't want to be looked at, things that don't want to be addressed, but there's also a a failure to progress through the stages of development that allows someone to learn how to 
forgive yourself, be kind mm. to yourself, hold yourself accountable, yep. be your word that eventually lets us get to what you're talking about here. Like I don't have to go about doing everything in my life by myself, but I do know how to take care of me. Yeah. That's a big one, you know, and have an agency in yourself to be able to take care of me. You take care of you, Jetty, I'll take care of me. And then we can come together and actually co-create something in an interconnected way. And that child in me at that time, when I look back, it's like, it's kind of embarrassing, but it's like, wow, dude, like you were so confused. You were so fogged out. I mean, I drank since I was 14 years old until I was 32 and I did hard drugs starting when I was 20 until 32. So my brain was completely unwired. I mean, my emotional development, my spiritual development pretty much stopped when I was 14 years old. That's how I see it. And, you know, but not being embarrassed, like from an outside perspective, it's like, yeah, that's embarrassing. Like I wanted that woman to take care of me. I wanted my mom to take care of me, like that inner child, like kind of a mama's boy, you know, good Italian mom, right? She'll pour you know, milk in my cereal until I'm on my deathbed. <laughs> like, if I'm like, mom, I'm good. Like, you know, it's like, mom, I can do my own laundry. She's like, but you're home. I'm like, I'm 41. She's like, I'll always be your mother. Like, right. <laughs> I'll always be your mom. So it makes her happy. But anyway, it's like, I think that was the, some of that conditioning of that little child in me, like, you know, Oh, you can just take care of I'm, I'm getting sober. I'm going to meetings. Like you can still hang out with me. And it was like, no, off the edge, but the accountability too. And I think many of us, just humans in general, I just meant it. It's hard to be accountable. It's hard to own your shit. And the more you practice owning your shit, the more you have respect for yourself. And I think I never used to like to own my shit. I figured out when I learned how to lie, it was with my dad. I borrowed his saw and my friend and I went out in the woods. We used to like cut trees down and make forts. And I cut down this white pine tree with my dad's like really nice bow saw. And it had like pine pitch or sap all over it. And he's like, did you use my saw? And I looked at him and I said, no. And I had this conversation with my dad recently. Dad, you damn well knew I used your saw. Why didn't you tell me? I was Mm -hmm. lying and (laughs) chastised me and gave me consequences Right then and there, Jetty, I learned that I could like maneuver uh, my way out of things and not take accountability. But through meditation, plant medicine, journey work, I've like traced it back to be like, damn, I was like eight, right? No consequences for little Brian. Here's Brian walking around as eight-year-old in his 35-year, 32-year-old self, even in my, you know, after I got sober, these things like... I just figure a way out of it. Just duck and dive. And that's what we're doing as kids is we're learning our different survival strategies. Yeah. And one crucial element to surviving is not getting a beat down. Yeah. So we learn, well, how can I get around the things that I did that would make someone unhappy? And lying becomes one of those things, yep. right? Depending on how we're raised or the consequences we receive or don't receive, it it influences what we learn about the world. Like, yeah. oh, when I get caught lying, I get my butt whooped. Like, yeah. I'm not going to do that. Or when I get caught lying, nothing happens or anywhere in between. It teaches us how we can be in the world. And if we don't take responsibility to unlearn those things or to replace them with the standard that we want for ourselves. Because mm. if we don't make that choice, if we don't ever sit down and say, do I want to be someone who 
lies, even if I'm really good at it and can get away with it, just because I saw my dad do that or because my parents let me get away with it. If we don't ever ask ourselves that question, then we just no. continue doing what we've always done. Exactly. And when I started asking myself that question, my life like took a significant turn in a great direction. Or I was like in the same direction, but I just moved a little bit faster. I just was like, oh, I don't need this gigantic rucksack on my back. Like dump that off on the side. And in the 12 step program, you know, making amends and you know, step 10 is all about like admitting when you're wrong or admitting what I like to say when you fucked up. And it's like, one of my favorite things to say is like, I'm sorry, I fucked up. Like that was wrong of me. And I hope you can forgive me. And it's a easier, softer way into that. And I like what you said about learning those survival tactics in the world. And the world can be a big, scary place if you make it that way, you know, with competition and, you know, the sharks out there in business trying to take what's yours and, you know, or like men and their competitive nature with women. And like, I went through all that stuff in college and even in my twenties and, you know, early thirties. And it's become less of something that I even pay attention to anymore because I'm trying to be more every day is like, where can I be in more integrity? Right. Right. And wash away and continuously wash away that stuff. Like that's that voice that comes up in your head at times. I, I say it's the boardroom meeting in my head that I'm late to. I'm like running down the <laughs> hall to get to the boardroom meeting. Like it's already started. <laughs> oh, dude, that's such a good, that's such a good image. I love that. The boardroom meeting that I'm already late to. I, I know that feeling, man. In fact, when you were saying that, it kind of brought up a visceral experience <laughs> of running late to something. Yeah. So there's something that in what you said just really helped me have a big realization about myself and thinking about how I was as a child because I was terrible at lying. I definitely lied to my parents sometimes because I didn't want to get in trouble, but that wasn't my forte. I wasn't that dude. I wasn't the one. I had a friend who would literally tell his parents everything. So we never could tell him anything. (laughs) Everybody knows that friend, the one who's like got the supremely clear conscience. He's like the head of the board now. He's the head of the board. Yeah. For some like corporation. (laughs) Exactly. and, And that, so here's the realization, right? I was thinking about who I was as a kid. I had so much integrity. I didn't want to lie. That wasn't an option for me because I didn't like the consequences of lying. It didn't feel good to me. But I also didn't like admitting that I was wrong or that I fucked up or that I screwed up or that I did something I shouldn't have. So my solution for that, because I didn't want either of those other options, was to do everything in my power not to fuck up. Yeah, I was the golden boy. I never even had detention when I went through all the way through high school. I never got in trouble. Never had any. I did things that I probably shouldn't have done, but I never got caught. And I made sure that everything I did, I was always right on key with it. But the problem is, is that it created this perfectionist mentality that I will do everything in my power to get it just right. And so that going all the way back to what we were talking about before, this journey of forgiveness, once it got to a point where I'm in my late teens, early twenties, and you just can't do things quote unquote perfectly anymore, right? There's there's, there's so much more going on. I wasn't ready for that type of failure. I wasn't ready to face off because I didn't have the practice of admitting where I failed. I literally couldn't do it. I denied that I would was even failing. And then the only other way not to feel the weight of failure and accountability was to numb myself. Yep. And so that was the only other thing I could do is, oh, let me forget about it. If I smoke enough weed, I'll forget about how it feels that I'm out of integrity here. Yep. Oh, I get that all too well. Perfectionism, you know, I'm Capricorn sun, Capricorn rising, 
Virgo moon, Virgo in the house is like earth, 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 like go obsessive, analytical perfectionism and my business medicine box. I've really had to like learn how to fail and fail and fail and get back up and just keep doing, keep going forward. And a great analogy I like to use for that, my friend, Michael Heltebreak, he's a great visionary artist and he used to live with me for a little while. And I'd watch him paint on this massive canvas while I'm up on the whiteboard, like mapping out strategy for the day. And I looked over and I'm like, my, how the fuck do you do that? Like, how do you make that? And he said, well, Chappie, I just continuously fuck up until it feels good. And I said, wow, I'm going to apply that to like my entrepreneurial life. Like it's just a continuous failure, but in a good way, because you're accepting failure and you're learning from your mistakes and you're moving forward with grace and ease. Holding on to the failure and the mistakes is going to prevent you from moving forward because you're just wallowing in the fuck up. It's like, just move forward, you know, like get one foot, then the next and let it go, which is a tough practice. (laughs) It's a tough practice, man. And it's funny because I, you've met my son Sitka. He's he's going to be six in September, and I fortunately I came into doing my personal work before he was ever in this world, and I recognized, whoa, this perfection stuff. I got it from my mom. It's like ancestral legacy stuff. I've got to do it differently unless I want him to carry that same burden. Unless I want him to have to slay that dragon, and obviously I'm still in it myself, right? I'm still unlearning that for myself. And I know that he witnesses some of that in both my wife and I, but it's amazing just to see how it almost seems like it's woven into his DNA. He's so hard on himself already. And granted, I take responsibility for some of that because I'm also hard on him sometimes too, but he's naturally hard on himself. And to witness this almost six-year-old experiencing shame the way he does, it's crazy how powerful of a force that is. And so what I feel I'm really proud of is that when we see that come up, we're very quick to explore that sensation with him, how he's feeling about himself. And how do you really feel about yourself? Do you want to forgive yourself for that? And yeah, and yeah you hit your sister. We know that's not something that you should do, but well, why did that happen? And is there a reason that that happened and something you could do about it next time and not feel so bad about it? It's just amazing to me that we have to learn these things. You can't just pick it up one day or flip on a switch and suddenly yeah. say, I'm not going to beat myself up anymore. It, it literally is a practice, like you said. A practice uh, daily. And you know the small steps lead to big advancements and they compound over time. And I actually had that on my notes, Jetty, is like, I think a lot of that avoidance for men to do, you know, quote unquote, do the work is because... One, we're hard on ourselves, and we want that instant gratification. And the system that we're in, in this Western civilization, especially in, in America, is like everything's supposed to be instant gratification. Go, go, go. Keeping up with the Joneses. Like flip that switch on and it's good. Like you don't just tell yourself one day I'm going to like wake up and not be that or go in this direction and it just happens. Like you don't become the captain of the football team by just like waking up one day by doing it or become an all-star musician or, you know, run that like three and a half minute mile. It takes practice or become a, you know, amazing yogi or other, you know, professional, like working on yourself, it should be any different than, you know, working on like the external or the material things that we like to bring into our life to 
give us, you know, an illusion of happiness. <laughs> it's a whole other topic, but <laughs> yeah, well, it is. And uh, man, time flies. I, I want to make sure that we talk about this one last piece before we start yeah. to wrap up. This word sovereignty. You know, I told you before we started recording, I was going through your bio and that word sovereignty popped out at me. And mm. I agree with you. you. You said that this word's getting thrown around a lot and it's yeah. being used in different ways by different people. And yeah. while you were speaking before, I quickly looked up the etymology of it. Do you know the etymology of the word sovereign? Yeah, read it. Read it though. It says, you know, early 14th century from the old French sovereign, which meant highest supreme chief, supreme superior great. And there's some other like Latin derivations of it as well, but that was the first hit. Yeah. And it's tied to like imperialism and supreme ruler and everyone underneath servants. And I did a full research on the word when I started to use it, but really, and just like basic layman terms, I think of sovereignty of like having the freedom of choice to do the things that you want in the world with your health and your happiness. And when I apply it to my brand medicine box, it's, well, you don't have to be tethered to big pharma or big gov or the military industrial complex. Like you don't have to have someone else telling you what to take a pill to make you happy or to make you in less pain. And that's where I came from on it. And I was questioned at one point, well, are you an anti-vaxxer? Because you say sovereignty and human health and happiness. And I said, no, like if you want to take the vaccine, great. I'm not anti-vax. I haven't taken it, but that doesn't make you any different than me. And that's the very subtle nuance. And I think in order to get to a place of interconnectedness, with others, like I say self, in order to get to like the society and the universe that we want and that like cyclic nature is like self builds community, community builds culture, culture builds society and civilizations and the universe. But the universe kind of and universal law keeps us all connected. And that's my like very intricate way of looking at sovereignty, but taking agency and accountability for yourself first before you depend on others, if if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And, and this is something that I usually come to this conversation when I'm talking about authority, because I think another thing that a lot of men fail to do is to claim authority over ourselves. Just in, in what I was saying before, where when we're born, our parents are our authority, our caregivers, the people who watch over us are our authorities. They're also the reference points for morals and values and all of the foundational pieces of our lives. The problem is, is that to cross that threshold from child into adult or boy into man, there has to be some claiming of authorship for mm. ourselves. And I think of that root word in authority, author, you know, if, if I'm constantly letting somebody else take the pen and write the story of my life for me based mm. on the choices I'm making or the way that I show up, then I'm never claiming that pen for myself. I have to be able to claim that authorship. And when I hear people talking about sovereignty, I think that that's a lot of what people are speaking about, the ability to have that uh, freedom to declare what I believe in, regardless of anybody else's opinion. This is what I believe in. This is my reference point for the world and the way I want to create my life. There's also room for other people to have their opinions and beliefs. I think that's also mm -hmm. part of a mature, sovereign adult is... Yep. I can have my beliefs without making yours wrong. Just like what you were saying in the anti-vax conversation. Yeah. Right? I can respect your choice to make a free choice for yourself as a free human being. Absolutely. And I expect and ask for the same 
freedom and respect for myself. Right. Which is a whole other conversation around cancel culture, you know, hero, villain, victim triangle. Like, it's like, I don't agree with you, Jetty. So you're the villain and I'm going to cancel you out. Can't talk to you anymore. I feel like a hero now, but really you're kind of like the victim too, because you just perpetuated some sort of weird cycle. And that, you know, the top down who we're trying to break away from, like the massive system, the man, like they love that. They're like, oh, just keep doing that, everybody. Keep being the servants amongst, you know, yourselves and cancel each other out, create polarization and divisiveness. And I'm so against this, like this cancel culture thing, because it doesn't create, I don't think it creates sovereignty, that's for sure. And it doesn't create the interconnectedness that we all really, I think, fundamentally value, whether we know it or not. And that like fundamental deep truth is that we're all interconnected in some way or another. And the universe is working its magic at all times. Yeah. I think uh, one of the most valuable things I've gotten when I was on this path of figuring out who I was and my reference for the world is I got trained in the ontology of language, which was this modern way of looking at how are we in relationship with ourselves and each other and the world with words, with language, body language, verbal language, especially verbal language. Mm. And one of the things they always taught, this comes from the lineage of Fernando Flores, Julio Olaya. My teacher was a man named Scott Cody and a man named Mark Bass. And they brought back this idea of a discourse. And this is, I think it was like the old Latin style of government where Mm -hmm. like true democracy, was it Greek or Latin? I forget. But where they would sit and these, you know, these intellectuals, these scholars of society would sit and they would have discourse between each other. And this is how they created some of the laws and principles that are legacy items, you know, going back millennia now, based on going back and forth with ideas and beliefs and having a respectful discourse amongst Mm. each other meant that everyone can say what they want. It's not to say that it wouldn't get heated sometimes and people are impassioned about what they believe, (laughs) but there was always room for me to hear and witness your perspective, knowing that that was the very seed that allows for me to share my perspectives as well and that they can all live in the same space. You know, and I think that's something that like along the lines with this cancel culture, right? You could just say bye-bye to somebody on a large scale because you don't like their reference point or viewpoint of the world. It's a bit scary, to be honest. Oh, it's it's scary. I think it's socially irresponsible. I think it's immature, personally. I don't think that's what adults do. No. My version of an adult, there's a lot of people who are grown, but not adults. (laughs) So figuring that out too. But yeah, the dark forces that are lurking in the corners are just, I feel they're like looking at that. You know, it's like weaken the society. Cancel culture is like weakens society and doesn't allow for that healthy like discourse and dialogue and sharing perspectives and spitballing ideas. And hey, let me take what you just said, Jetty, and let me expand on that, right? Like, not like, nope, push that aside, insert self. It's like, let's expand on that. You know, I'm, I play guitar, I'm a musician. It's like, that's how you make music. Right? It's like, oh, here's a little riff on the guitar. Like, hey, that's in G minor. Keyboardist, play that. I need a little bit walking bass line over here. Like a yeah. little snare, a little high, little kick. And then it's like you orchestrate it. Right. And, you know, a guitar by itself sounds cool, but it's way more full with the bass and some keyboards and some drums around it. And that's how I think about this. It's like... 
we all are just going to be like one single musician or do you want to play in a band? I want to play in a band. I want to play in an orchestra. Well, and here's the thing. I think what it comes down to for me, because where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line and say, well, those types of beliefs, we could say everyone's entitled to their beliefs. But if we go to the far end of the spectrum, you know, the people in the world who believe that some races of people mm-hmm. or, yeah. or sexual orientations of people don't deserve to be on the planet. That for me is where we get to draw the line, not, yeah. not around the content of that, but when belief that someone has or a value that someone has threatens the survival or existence on yeah. a fundamental level of a group of people. Yeah. I think that's where we get to say, well, that belief can't coexist with others because by nature, it means that there has to be some sort of elimination of another group of people in order for you to right. feel good about your existence here. Right. The superiority of right. we're all from the same earth and we're all humans and earth citizens. And I can agree with what you just said and that that's a lot of conversation to be had around that topic. And it's highly like, complicated. But it's yeah. highly complicated and it's highly nuanced. And, you know, where do we draw the line? And, you know, there's freedom of speech wrapped up in there. And I, I look at it as like everyone's fighting for equality, but at the same time, there's this kind of underlying like unconsciousness, I think, of okay, we want equality across the spectrum, but we also want a little bit of power. <laughs> we, like, yeah. we want that power. We want to feel in control. And like we're all kind of going against the system, the patriarchal system and big gov and big corp. And that's big, right? Big, bad, small, good. But small wants to be big too. But big comes with power and responsibility. And I think that's the unconsciousness that comes with that. And there's a lot of work for all of us to do and move through, starting with self and community to get to the world that we all want to live in. And conversations like this really just get my mind going. I learned so much and definitely learned a lot from your perspectives today, Jetty. So thank you for sharing those. Yeah. Likewise, man. Yeah. I also feel that we opened up a lot of doors and we didn't get to walk through all of them, which is usually the sign of a good episode. You know, we open up more questions than conclusions. And yeah, likewise, man, I learned a lot from speaking with you as well. It's really good. It'd be nice to sit down and have more cups of tea and coffee. Absolutely, man. I like what you said. Like, this is probably like our single, like most focused conversation together because it's usually in community or coming out of a TP and you know, <laughs> seeing you somewhere and having sick, run around climbing things. And, and your boy is, he's an amazing, amazing kid. Everyone that's listening sick is awesome. He, he kind of reminds me of me when I was that age, like when he's, he's just like climbing things and hanging from things and just <laughs> running around like a, like a little tribal kid, you know, and getting dirty. So. Oh, thanks man. I appreciate that. Well, yeah, man, I think just to put a bow on this, uh, that conversation of sovereignty is really what we all can take responsibility for is taking responsibility for the way that I see the world and the way I carry my morals and values and also the space that I create for other people to have theirs as well. And it doesn't have to be, we don't have to accept that every belief that is out there in the world is okay. There's some that collectively we can look at and say, well, that does that really create the world that I want to live in and that I want my children to live in. And then I want to leave behind when I'm gone. Right. So we all get to ask ourselves that question as we carry on here. I'm going to lead with that today and probably the next day and the next. So <laughs> thanks for dropping that, Jetty. You got it, bro. Last few questions for you. Lightning round style. You Ooh, ready for it? Yeah, yeah. 
Okay. So what's the one thing you've learned that you wish you knew when you were 18? Don't be hard on yourself. There you go. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? A solid routine and ritual that gets you into yourself, into your body and out of your head and into your heart. And what does the world need most from men right now? Their voice, their vulnerability, their authenticity, their ability to be able to express themselves in a safe place. I love that. And tell us, man, where can people go to find out more about you, about Medicine Box and everything that you're up to? Give us the links and the socials and everything. Medicinebox.green as well as medicineboxwellness.com. My Instagram is underscore Brian Chaplin. I'm always sharing just some funny, fun stuff in Tahoe region. Medicine Box is at medicine underscore box. And I'm also on LinkedIn at Brian Chaplin and uh, Facebook. So drop a line anytime and I look forward to meeting some more men in your community. Jetty, one thing I tell my friends and like my Instagram handle is like, where are all the men at? Like, let's hang. <laughs> so yeah. We got to get you out there for a fast sometime soon too. I know we've been- Phil and I are talking about that, maybe for the fall. So Awesome, bro. Yeah. Well, Chappie, my man, good to have you on here, bro. Lots yeah. of love to you. Appreciate everything that you brought. And yeah, I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, Jared. <laughs> Later, bro. Later, Jay. All right, fam. Make sure you go to risingman.org to check out all the offers we got going on and coming up in the coming weeks. And also check out show notes and resources related to this episode and others. Risingman.org. Go check it out. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the rising man movement. We got new content coming out every week. So go hit us up over there if you haven't already. Check us out on Instagram at rising man movement and tag us when you're listening to the podcast or when you're rocking the gear, whatever you're doing. Let's keep that rising man movement moving. Shout out to the Power Squad, Kyle, Mark, Ryan, Rowan, Sean, and Julian. I love you guys. Thank you for helping me out each and every week to make this movement move. And everybody else out there, thanks for playing your part as well. We can only do this together. We're in this together. We got this. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.